for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, please let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we are going to, to read uh, that entire section in John chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 18. And we'll find our teaching from that portion this morning. Uh, John chapter 1. And we are looking from verse 1 to verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning for the opportunity to, to read from your word, to spend time in your word and be taught by your word. And we pray that there would be fruit this morning, that we would love you, we would honor you, we would glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, brethren, at this time of the year, uh, most people are on leave and uh, most people are taking some time to rest and some time to reflect on the year that has been. And in the Christian calendar, we are, we are in the Advent season. Uh, Advent meaning the coming of God. And we celebrate God who came on earth as a man to do a particular work. And so as we are in this Advent season, there are so many distractions, there are so many things that seem to take our attention from the point of this season. And there are distractions such as busyness. There's distractions such as uh, sentimentality. Oh, we live uh, in a time where uh, Christmas is, is so sentimental. When you go to the malls, there's songs that are going on. There, there is just uh, so much of sentimentality going on. And that is, uh, 
it's easy to steal our attention from the point of this season. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the fundamental elements of a God-honoring Advent season. I want us to see three truths that will help us to revere and honor Christ during this Advent season. Three fundamental truths that will help us to revere Christ and honor him during this Advent season. And these three truths are this. It's the identity of Jesus Christ. The second one is the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. And the third one is the appropriate response of the believer. Now, let's begin with looking at the identity of Jesus Christ. Brethren, it is impossible for us to spend this Advent season in a God-honoring way if we do not have an accurate understanding of who Jesus Christ is. The identity of Jesus Christ. Now, who is Jesus Christ? Brethren, eternity hangs upon this question, hangs upon the answer of this question. Your eternity hangs upon this. Life and death hangs upon your response to this question. Who is Jesus Christ? Brethren, heaven or hell hangs upon this question, who is Jesus Christ? And I want us to look at the answer to this important question. The answer to this pertinent question, who is Jesus Christ? Now in John, it opens with these words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And brethren, I want to proclaim and declare to you this morning that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God, according to this passage that we've just read. This passage proclaims Jesus Christ to be God because it assigns attributes of God to Jesus Christ. Now someone will ask you, how dare you make such a bold claim? What makes you come to that conclusion that Jesus Christ is God? Jesus Christ is God because he possesses attributes of God. Now attributes are characters that are true about who God is. And we are aware that the attributes of God are unique to God. And in some way, there are certain attributes that might be reflected to us. But in the true sense, the attributes of God are, are, are the definition of who God is. These are the characteristics of who God is. These are the unique descriptions, the unique characteristics of who God is. This is the identity of God. And in this passage, we see that Jesus Christ is truly God because he possesses the attributes of God. The first attribute of God that is spoken about in this passage that Jesus Christ possesses is the attribute of eternity. Look here, this passage in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word. Now, this points us to when creation started. This uh, passage starts in the same way that Genesis starts, in the beginning. When God created, when God made everything, including space, time, God was there. Jesus Christ was there. Jesus Christ was before creation. Jesus Christ was before time. Jesus Christ has been there from all eternity past. In the beginning was the word. Jesus possesses this attribute of God, the attribute of eternity. We see in Colossians chapter 1, 
And in verse 17, it tells us this about Jesus Christ. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, in the beginning was the word. Jesus Christ is God. And I want to declare to you this morning that until you come to this conclusion about Jesus Christ, you are not spending the Advent season in a God-honoring way. Until your life has come to the point where you acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he is in the scriptures, you are wasting your time in this Advent season. You are being blasphemous in how you are spending this Advent season. When you relegate Jesus to the periphery, and this Advent season and this Christmas, your focus is on anything else other than Jesus Christ as truly God, you are wasting your life. And I want to declare to you this morning that Jesus Christ is truly God and he needs our obedience and he must be adhered to and listened to and obeyed and trusted and respected and honored and elevated and be at the center of everything that we do during this Advent season and during the rest of our lives. Jesus Christ is God because he possesses the attributes of God, which is eternity. Second, Jesus Christ is God because he is called the Word. He is called the Word. Let's continue to see what this passage says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, this term, the Word, can be used to describe the voice of someone. It is an expression of the thoughts of someone. It is an expression of someone's thoughts. You can also say it is an exposition, an exegesis, or an explanation of someone's mind. It is expressing what is at the center of your thinking. Another way to understand this word, you can think about uh, logos or logic. This is the principle that enables everything to make sense. You can say this is the precondition of all intelligibility. When the Bible speaks about Jesus Christ as the word, it tells us that he is the exact expression of the thoughts of God. It tells us that Jesus Christ is in human form who God is. Jesus is the explanation of who God is. He's the principle that makes everything else to make sense. And thus, we should obey him, we should listen to him, we should trust him, we should love him, we should be attentive to him. God spoke to us through Jesus Christ. And everything that we've observed in the Old Testament, all the Old Testament rituals, all the Old Testament prophets, all the, the priests, all the activities that were going on were a shadow of Jesus Christ. And as he comes, 
Jesus Christ, truly God, the word of God, the true expression of who God is. It is God speaking. It is God come in human flesh. Brethren, Jesus Christ is truly God. Jesus Christ is truly God because he is eternal, because he is the word, and also because he is the creator. Turn to verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. There's two categories in the world. There's the category of creator and the category of creation. And what this passage tells us is that Jesus Christ is in the category of creator. And, and as though someone would come and, and argue with this, this passage at the end, it says there is nothing that has been made that has not been made by him. Jesus Christ is the creator. And as we turn back to Colossians, we see uh, what the Bible tells us about Jesus Christ as the creator. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God dwells bodily. Jesus Christ is truly God, brethren. Now, Jesus Christ is truly God, and this is why we need to put him at the center of our celebrations, at the center of our thoughts during this Advent season. Jesus Christ is not only truly God, but he's also truly man. Let's turn to verse 10 of our passage. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus Christ was truly man. Jesus Christ was truly man. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it tells us that there is only one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came as a man, and we know that all self-respecting historians will attribute to this, that there is no man who's made an impact in the world like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came truly man and truly God. And with all these two natures together in unity. The Westminster Confession tells us this. 
about the two natures of Jesus Christ. It says the two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, which is the nature of God and the nature of man. They were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, without composition, and without confusion. And Jesus Christ came on earth as truly God and truly man. And this is the identity of Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus Christ is. Now, let's turn to the second fundamental element that will help us to spend this Advent season in a God-honoring way. So we've seen that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. Now, before we turn to the second element, which is the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, we need to see our condition without Jesus Christ. Now, for us to truly understand what Jesus Christ accomplished, we need to understand our condition. We need to understand uh, our relationship with God. We need to, to understand our nature. We need to understand what necessitated Jesus Christ to accomplish this work. Now, the Bible, as it refers to men and women without God, in Romans 5, verse 10, it says we were enemies of God. In Romans 6, verse 17, it says we were slaves of sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It says we followed the course of the world. We were under the control of Satan. And it says we were children of wrath. Now, this idea of a child is linked with inheritance. Now, when it says we were children of wrath, it means that our inheritance was wrath. And this is how the Bible describes man without God. He is someone who is dead in their sin. Someone who follows the course of the world. They follow what is popular. They are under the control of Satan. And they are children of wrath. Now this should make us to appreciate what Jesus Christ accomplished. And let's turn to verse 11 to 13. It tells us, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Brethren, Jesus Christ came to change our identity. See, in, in verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, as those who were enemies of God, and those who were slaves of sin, as those who were dead in our trespasses and sins, as those who were under the control of Satan, as those who were children of wrath, whose inheritance was the eternal wrath of God, Jesus Christ came to change our identity and make us the children of God. And the question would be, by what authority does Jesus do this? By what authority does he do this? A story is told about 
Napoleon Bonaparte, who was a conqueror. And uh, in one of his conquests, he was, uh, he was uh, on a, riding on a horse cart. And he, he wanted the, the, the person who was in control of the horse to just let it loose so that the ride would be a bit smoother. And he, he would spend some time reading a bit. And so as Napoleon was reading, uh, that horse, he was not aware that the horse was getting out of control. And the horse was lifting up its leg like this and, and almost, uh, almost overthrew Napoleon. And, and it is told that one of the soldiers who saw that horse getting out of control, he went on and he took the reins of the horse and he put it back on track. And Napoleon realized what had just happened, that this lowly soldier just saved his life. And Napoleon, to thank him, he said, thank you, my captain. And that lowly soldier looked at Napoleon and said, of what rank, my lord? And Napoleon said, of my soldier's ranks. And this man changed from being a lowly soldier to be the captain of Napoleon's soldiers. And, and so as he went uh, to introduce his new position to the people who, who knew him, to, to the, the leaders who knew him in the army. He said, I'm now the captain of the soldiers. And they said, what a joke. You can't be the captain of the soldiers. He said, I am now the captain of the soldiers. And they said, by what authority? And he says, by Napoleon's authority. And Napoleon was there to attribute to that. And so this man went from a lowly position to a high and elevated position by the authority of Napoleon. And so the question is, by what authority does Jesus Christ declare us to be the children of God? By what authority does he do this? And the answer is, by the Trinitarian authority, by his own authority as the God-man. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Jesus Christ has full rights to declare us to be children of God. Because he is doing this in the Trinitarian authority. By the approval of the Father, by the love of the Father. It is by the obedience of the Son to the Father. It is by the love of the Holy Spirit to see sinners converted and coming to obedience of God. And this is the authority in which Jesus Christ operates and he can do this. And he has done it. And this is what makes the Advent season glorious. This is what makes the Advent season a time of celebration. Because we celebrate a king. We celebrate a God who made declarations and he fulfilled those declarations. And how does this happen? How do we become the children of God? Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What are the means of becoming a child of God? Now, the first is, this happens because of the love of God. It is the love of God that propels Jesus Christ to come on earth and die for our sin. 
Now, we need to understand the love of God very well. Now, today, if I would ask you, how would you know that someone loves you? How would you assess love? Now, first, you would try by looking at what it costs someone. By the cost of someone, you'd assess that by, by what it costs them to love you. You can also look by how deserving you are of that love. You can also look at by the benefits that you get from this person's love. And also by the freedom with which they give it. Now, for example, if, if you have insurance on your car and you get in an accident and you put in a claim and your insurance company pays you money, you don't look at your insurance and say, ah, oh, they love me so much. You, you, you've been paying insurance. You've got insurance on your car. And so you expect them to come there when you are in trouble. But with God's love, we have no claim upon it. And yet we see that it cost God his only son. We see of how undeserving we were of the love of God. We see of the benefits that we get by the love of God. We see by the freedom with which God does it. We see by the freedom with which, Je with which Jesus Christ does it. And in Hebrews, it, it, it comes to the heart of Jesus Christ when he comes to do his work. When it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that are set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ fulfilled this work of salvation lovingly and joyously. We see also that we receive the work, the accomplishment of Jesus Christ by faith. Look here in verse 11. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Now, who believed in that he is truly God, he is truly man. Who believed in his substitutionary work. Who believed in his righteous work. Who believed in all that he accomplished. He gave them the right to become children of God. It is by the faith that we have in God's work, in, in Jesus Christ, in what he accomplished. It is also by the perfect substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. Now, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 2, I want us to see why it is so important that Jesus Christ came as God, fully God and fully man. In Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And listen to verse 17. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So, brethren, Jesus Christ came as fully God and fully man so that as fully God, he can quench 
the full wrath of God. And as fully man, he can fully represent us before God. And so this work is done by love. It is received by faith. And we see that it is the substitutionary perfect work of Jesus Christ. Now, what is our response? What is the appropriate response? Brethren, since we are those who have received the love of God so much during this Advent season, it is upon us to respond appropriately to the work of God. And so may we spend this Advent season by being humble, with humble hearts. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, it describes the humility of Jesus Christ, how he lived here on earth. And we are to emulate that example. And we are called to be humble. And this is our appropriate response. And the second way we can respond to this is by applying self-control during this time. In Titus chapter 2, from verse 11 to 12, it tells us that uh, for the grace has appeared uh, to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. And uh, during this Advent season, a lot of people are tempted uh, to do so many sinful things. We are called to apply self-control. And we are also called to be generous. Uh, in James 2, from 14 to 17, there it tells us of the practical ways in which we show our faith. That uh, when someone comes to us with a need, we don't just say, uh, go, go well, and things will be right with you. But where we have means to help, we should express our generosity. And this is the heart of the Advent season. It is knowing the identity of Christ. It is knowing the work of Christ, what Christ has accomplished, and how we receive that and by responding appropriately in how we live our lives every day, by being humble, by being self-controlled, and by being generous. Lord, we thank you for this time, and we ask that your word would dwell richly in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.